Today we'll read Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Not one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Their venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified by his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You know, the, our teenagers are learning to have a 2020 vision for the and it's so it was so cool watching how Brennan and our our our, our youth leaders, our, our volunteers, how they were prepared. They prepared our students this past week to go serve. And um, man, um, and Thursday, you know, I'm, I just was amazed at what we saw. I mean, there's so many stories coming out of of this past week, and and um, and you know, the Lord allowed us to um, jump in the middle of this uh, thing you might have heard about on the news at some level. Here we were called to speak to these kids, these teenage boys, essentially, that have not tried to cross our borders illegally, but have come to a, a legal port of entry in the United States of America and have proven that they are coming from a country where it's um, they need political asylum, and, and they've proved that, and now they're in process of, of coming into our country. And, and I'm, I'm so proud of our Baptist uh, brothers and sisters in Texas who are uh, putting their politics aside and are, are jumping into the middle of this saying, you know what, well, let's share the gospel with these. There's 700 kids from the ages of 7 to 17 who made a trek from Guatemala, Salvador, Nicaragua, Venezuela. Those are just the ones I said I met, and they've come without their parents. They're not being separated from their parents. They made that trek without their parents and are just seeking help. And um, that's who we shared the gospel and it's it's heartbreaking and it's 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 unbelievable unfathomable for me to think about a, a, a spot i look at my 15 year old son and say hey buddy it's better for you to get out of here good luck 
the stories that are coming out of this are, are unthinkable. As um, I mean, we think about, oh, what terrible parents they must have. But, but for a parent to get to the situation where that's the best option for them is, is really not something we as Americans can wrap our head around. And, and, I'm, and we're standing there on Thursday, and, 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 and um, you know, I'm, I'm with Eli, a, a man that is an employee of the Baptist General Convention of Texas who actually lives at this campground. His house is there. His family's there. And, and he's in the middle of life with these kids. And, and, we're, and it's fun because our Baptist folks said, hey, we'll take 700 kids, uh, but we want to have permission to do a service once a week. And our government said, that's okay. Please help us. And so here we are getting to preach and lead at one of our services. And it was amazing to watch our kids walk in there and lead worship with that group. Our uh, students did a drama for those kids. And then, and then Pam Wilson, one of our youth leaders, shared her testimony, which was unbelievable, about, hey, look, I lived the American dream and it didn't fill my life. Because these kids are coming because there's an American dream. And she stood in front of them and said, look, that's not going to satisfy you. It didn't me. Jesus came into my life, and that's where I found meaning. And then I got up to share the gospel. And we really worked hard to be clear. Lord, I don't want to just make this an inaccurate picture of what the gospel is. And, 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 and I got to preach in Spanglish a little bit because I'm, I'm learning Spanish, and so I, I gave it a shot. But, but I'm a little nervous about my vocabulary because, you know, the word for sin in Spanish is pecado, and, and the word for fish is pescado. And so what I didn't want to say is Jesus died for all your fish. I wanted to be careful that I didn't mess up there. And, um, but... But, you know, so I had a translator, and so I did kind of chicken out when I got to the, the gospel portion and said, Eli, here we go. Let's do this in English. Uh, and you, you, you translate. And we were clear about, look, just because you come to Jesus doesn't mean your problems go away. And, but if, you're, if you feel like God is speaking to, to you, here's the gospel. Jesus loves you. And we shared the gospel. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm watching this and, and, I, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, God, is this real? And I'm questioning as I'm standing there. And then it dawned on me, uh, you know, the, the condition of a heart that's critical when you come to the gospel is brokenness, right? And, and, and I didn't have to convince these guys, these teenage boys, that the world is broken. They knew that. I didn't have to convince them that 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 sin is, is, is really messed up. And you know, as I'm watching this and I'm, and I'm questioning, questioning it in my heart, and some, I'm like, Lord, what am I seeing? Eli said to us, you know, after Thursday night, he said, you're just going to have to go think about what you experienced today and process it for a while. And that's absolutely true. But I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm, and I'm like, man, in the United States, it's difficult to see things like this. And then God reminded me of Mark chapter 10, verse 25, where it says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I was like, oh, yeah. Because we are in America with our affluenza 
and we mask our need of the gospel. We don't realize that we are broken, that we are, or we are sinners in need, desperate need of God's forgiveness. And the gospel is critical for us. And, you know, uh, Casey got to read Romans 3, and we are going to be there today in Romans chapter 3. But before we jump to Romans 3, can you turn to Matthew 9 with me? Matthew 9, uh, this, this is an amazing moment in the life of Jesus. I wish I could have heard Jesus teach. I, you know, I mean, I'm so glad that the gospel writers recorded some of these instances and some of these moments as, as Jesus walked the earth. And, and, and Matthew uh, was a tax collector. Okay, so that means he's not very popular. That means he's one of those guys that if we were looking at Matthew, we would say, that's a dude that will never come to Christ. In fact, I hope he doesn't. I don't know if you've ever had anybody in your life that you dislike so much that you maybe have this attitude, well, I hope he doesn't come to Christ. Well, there, there's a lot of people that looked at Matthew, and that's how he was. He's probably, if he walked in a room, most people would say, that's the worst guy in the room right now. And, uh, and, and that's who Matthew was. He was a tax collector. What, tax collectors in, in Roman times, in the time of Jesus, they were, they were Jewish people that, were, that sold out. They, 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 uh, they were Jewish, but they, they worked for the Roman government. And a lot of times they were, they were lining their own pockets, and, and they were hated and despised. In Matthew 9, verse 9, look at this. Jesus passed on from there and saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. So he's at work. He's collecting taxes right here. And, and he said to him, he walks up to him and says, follow me. I love that. I mean, Jesus walked up to the worst guy in the, in the place. Hey, hey, you're at your booth. You're at work. Hey, follow me. And, and I thought, oh, my goodness. What, look. He did. And as I looked at and prayed, as I saw some of this response this week, and I'm grateful for Eli, because Eli assured me, look, we're going to meet one-on-one with each of these boys, because they, they can't leave that place. They are stuck there. They can't even walk outside the gate. And they're there 24-7 until they are processed. And Eli said, hey, we're going to meet with each one of these, and we're going to sit down with them and help them understand what what did God say to them? And so with, there, that, that gave me great confidence in that moment. And I am so grateful that we have some Baptist brothers that aren't just going to bark because of political disagreements, but are looking at this saying, how do we share the gospel with these people? There's a great lesson to learn there from our brothers in Harlingen, Texas. And I'm so glad I got to rub shoulders with them. And Jesus walks up to this Guy, and he says, follow me. Look at the next verse. And he rose and followed him. Matthew followed him. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, yeah, that was the moment. that. that and, and I looked at this as these kids are, are, are hearing the gospel. And, and God reminded me, Chris, they ain't following you. It's me that's speaking. And I trust that. And I'm so grateful that not only... Did they have that moment, but there's also moments coming after that to help them understand what went on in that moment. 
And so Matthew followed Jesus to understand what that meant to follow him. And, and, and I love it as he as Jesus. Next thing you know, Matthew and Jesus are with all of Matthew's friends. And I love this. I, I, he, he is at his house, he, and Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So what did Matthew do? Okay, hey, I'll just get all my friends to come together. And, and who were his friends? It was people like him. It was people that were tax collectors. And, all, and in Scripture, you see tax collectors and sinners, you know, lost people, people that were the outcasts. And I love that. There's a great lesson to learn here. We're in a gospel challenge in 2019, asking the Lord to give us the opportunity to, to, to share the gospel with somebody. Can I tell you, the response of the gospel is not our job. It's not our job to make people respond to the gospel. It's our job to share the gospel. And my, my challenge for you, my, my prayer for you is, and one, of part, one part of this gospel challenge is for you, for all of us to, to at least have somebody that doesn't know Christ in our home once a month. I mean, when's the last time you had a lost person, a person that didn't know Christ in your home? Hey, come over. And you have a friend. Matthew, that's what he's doing. And look at what happened. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? You know, why, why are you hanging out with lost people? Why are you hanging out with people that don't know Christ? And how many times is that asked of people in our church? I mean, goodness, why are you hanging out with people that don't know Christ? It kind of makes you think that should be a normal part of our, of our, of our week, of our life. And... and but when, he, when Jesus heard it, when he heard it, he said this incredible statement, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And, and the reality is we're born into sickness. We're born into darkness. We're born apart from God. Then look at what Jesus says. Go and learn what this means. He says to the disciples, he's sitting there, he knows there are the, the Pharisees. He says this to the Pharisees. He knows they're asking this question, well, why are you eating with them? And then Jesus says, go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus told those religious critics, I want you to go learn what this means. Go learn about this. And guess what? Guess, was, guess who was one of the Pharisees that learned about this? This guy that we've been rubbing shoulders with through the book of Acts. His name's Paul. And Paul wrote the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is a beautiful explanation of what Jesus said to go learn, that what we should learn. And it's my prayer, because I think sometimes we slip into, into Pharisee-type life. And I think we need to learn what that means. We need to learn about what the, the gospel says and, and what Jesus meant. And look at what he says in, in Matthew 9, 13. Jesus said, I desire mercy. Aren't you thankful that God desires mercy? I mean, aren't you grateful for that? Goodness, I'm grateful for that. Do you know that God did not have to save anybody? But he desires mercy. That is a reality of the God of all creation that I am most grateful for. 
that God would desire mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not giving to us what we deserve. What you and I deserve is eternal separation from God. There's not one person on the planet that deserves uh, a relationship with God or mercy from God. And what's interesting is these Pharisees, they had this idea that, look, I'm good. I can earn my way to heaven. And this is, a, this is an idea that's been going on for a long time. And it's still prevalent today. People think that they can be good enough and somehow earn God's favor. And I don't want you to come to this church week after week and believe that. Because you can't earn your way to heaven. And Jesus said, look, I desire mercy. I don't desire sacrifice. And these are religious leaders who had sacrificed a great deal. And, and Jesus said, you got to go learn about this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, point number one is this, if you're following in your notes. Jesus came to earth for sinners just like each one of us. And that's why Jesus came. Oh, over the next several weeks, five weeks, we're five weeks from Easter, and we're going to turn our face to what the gospel is, what the cross means. And we're going to look deeply at the cross. And, and I want us to understand from the beginning that Jesus came to earth for sinners just like each one of us. And, and, and for the most part, if we're honest, uh, we, we know this. Even though we live in a a world that struggles with this idea of sin, our conscience condemns us, doesn't it? I mean, my, my conscience condemns me many times. My human nature condemns me. Um, when, when I get honest with my own life, I can recognize my sinfulness. And, and this is what Romans 3 tells us. Flip over to Romans 3 and let's learn about this. Let's put this into practice today. Casey read this, and this is important. This is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That's who Paul was. Paul was trained of, he was the Pharisee of all the Pharisees. He was the leader of all of them. And this is a perfect moment where we can look at what the Pharisee of the Pharisees how he learned what Jesus commanded him to remember and think about. And he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Am I better off because I'm a Jew, because I'm a Pharisee? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, all people, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. How many are righteous? How many? None. None is righteous. No, not one. No, and then he, then he goes through these Old Testament examples where he says, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. To, together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And see, Jesus is pointing out to these Pharisees that's the lesson. Hey, boys, you're looking at all these sinners that I'm eating with. Guess what? You are too. 
you're not righteous either. And, and haven't you found this out? I found this to be true, that sin is the most difficult truth for our generation to admit. I mean, have you noticed that about the world we live in? That, that, that sin is, is it's the greatest, it's the most difficult truth for people to admit. People don't want to admit that, that we're sinners, that, that we're, uh, uh, Don Carson is a, a guy that I like to read. He's a theologian, and, and uh, he, he talks about sin as this snicker word, that, that when you call something sinful, you get a, you get a snicker. Ooh, oh, it's sinful. But sin is our greatest problem. And, and the shame of sin, and this is what's tragic as I raise my kids, the shame of sin has vanished before our eyes. We're not offended by sin anymore. You know, I, even as I look at my own children, as we navigate the, the um, raising them, you know, the things that are, they're used to in their lives, the things that, that are just normal for them, it, sin doesn't even bother them because it's so normal in our world. And, and it's interesting, as I look at our culture, we're, we're defining sin individually. This is just how I see it individually. And, 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 and it's interesting, as I look at our world that we live in, that we live at a time where the most wrong thing to say to somebody is that you're wrong. Have you noticed that? It's wrong in our culture to say that you're wrong. But here's what the Bible communicates to us, something very important that we're not the center of the universe, that sin actually exists, and sin is devastating. But we live in that Frank Sinatra philosophy of the world, and, and you know, most people think I sound like him when I sing, because when they leave my microphone on uh, after the invitation, and for all the people watching online, sometimes they get to hear me sing, and I get emails like, you sound like Frank Sinatra, but he says, I'll show you, I did it my way, right? Yeah, that's Frank Sinatra. That's my interpretation. That's why I don't, I'm a preacher. Um, but, but you know what? We do it our way. We want to do it our way. And this is our problem. And my prayer is that we recognize that someday we're going to stand before God and it's not going to be about our way. You know that's an appointment on your schedule, right? That one day you'll stand before God. And I, I pray that we um, recognize that, and this is what I think Jesus is saying, and Paul is saying, that when we sin, do you know that the most offended person is God? That's, that's who's offended when we sin. If you cheat on your, your spouse... Yes, your spouse is greatly offended, but can I tell you the most offended person is God? If, you, if you're racist and you, you act on that and, and discriminate against somebody, yeah, that person is offended. But do you know who the most offended party in that action? It's God. Why? Because God is holy. And I think that the day we stand before him, and I say this a lot, there's going to be a day you stand before God. And when you do, we are going to be in absolute awe of not just his majesty, not just his glory, not just how powerful he is, but I think when we stand before God, we are going to be absolutely amazed at his holiness. 
and that holy God would become sin for us because sin is, a, is, is devastating. And we live in a world where we're convincing ourselves that sin is not a big deal and sin is absolutely odious and, and offensive to a holy God. And that's what Jesus is saying. And now Matthew 9 He says, I desire mercy. Think about this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, as you look back on Romans 3, look at verse 21. These Pharisees thought that, hey, I'm good. I can go, I'm I'm good on my own. He and Paul writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. You Pharisees, look, it's not about you keeping the law. It's not about you keeping the rules. You can't be righteous righteous on your own. God has been manifested apart from the law, he says. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And this is important for the Pharisees to understand. This is important for Paul to understand. This is important for us to understand. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now point number two is this, that God's righteousness comes by faith alone. And that's how righteousness comes to us. It doesn't come to us by our works. It doesn't come to us by our efforts. Righteousness comes by faith alone, not by your ethnic background, religious sacrifices, or good works. Righteousness comes by faith. The moment that you put your faith in Christ, righteousness comes to you. And this is the beautiful reality of, of, of this of the gift of God. And when you look at what Jesus is saying, you Pharisees think about this, what Paul is saying in Romans 3, the cross fulfilled the old covenant. The Old Testament, the old covenant matters. We should understand it. But the cross, on the cross, Jesus fulfilled the old covenant. And and here's the thing, right standing is given to all who have faith. Now that's amazing to me that you and I can be in right standing with God. And that comes off my lips pretty easily right now. But, but when I stand before God face to face, I'm going to be going, whoa, Lord, how can you make me right? How can I stand rightly before the almighty, holy God of all creation? And that's a miracle. But right standing is given to all who have faith. And then then this text, it's interesting, and and I want you to write these words down because they're big words. You may have to, I had to spell check these bad boys, okay? But redemption and propitiation were provided on the cross. Now you might go, oh, Chris, come on, those are big words. They are big words, but they're very important words. Let's think about this. Redemption and propitiation were provided on the cross. Look at Romans 3, 24. 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That there's a gift of God, and, 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 and this redemption is provided through the gift of, that, of, of Christ. 
And the cross, on the cross, Jesus has given us a gift. And in the ancient world, they understood the idea of redemption because there were a lot of slaves back then. And, and sometimes slavery in the Roman world, that was, uh, they were slaves because they were conquered. But sometimes people were enslaved because they went bankrupt. There were no bankruptcy laws in Rome. So if you went bankrupt and you owed somebody a lot of money, you would go to that person and say, look, I will be your slave and I, my family will work for you. And, and because I can't pay you, so I'm going I'm, I'm to be your slave. And, and a slave couldn't get out of it himself. And so what he would need is somebody, hopefully he had a rich uncle or, or a rich aunt that would come and redeem them and pay for them. And when I look at what Jesus did on the cross, redemption means to buy back. And here's what I want us to see today, and I'll put it on the screen, that we were hopelessly stuck in sin and completely bound by Satan until Jesus redeemed us. You see, before you came to Christ, you were hopelessly stuck. And I pray that, that we understand that, that we didn't come to God with our righteousness. I didn't earn my way. I didn't earn my freedom. No, I was completely stuck. And Jesus bought me, redeemed me. And this is what he says in Romans 3, 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace, not by your efforts, his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And, but there's more. Look at verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Not by works. Not by your effort. This propitiation by his blood, you were received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. See that word propitiation? Here's what that means. It's the act by which somebody, in this case God, he becomes propitious. I had to work, I had to practice that word. Okay, God became propitious. You might say, that sounds rude, Chris. No. That means we, he, he made us favorable. That's what propitiation means. It's the, it means that, and I put, write this down, we were completely offensive to God until Jesus made us favorable or became our propitiation. And see, there was a moment in my life that, that Jesus made me right. He made me favorable. I was not favorable. Now I am favorable, not because of what I did. It's like the, have you had that, that, that 1 Peter 2.10 moment? Has this happened in your life where 1 Peter 2.10 says this, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In this moment, this intersection of faith that takes place in our lives is the moment that we receive that gift of Christ, that we trust in Christ for our salvation. We put our faith in him. It's my prayer that every one of us come to that moment where you say, Lord, I hear you speaking to me. I hear you drawing me, and I'm coming to you. 
And this is why as a, as a believer, as followers of Christ, point number three is so very important for us. That the cross remains the only rescue for sinners. You see, there, there are Christians, there are people that say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but oh, there are many paths to God. That's impossible. There's no other, there's no other way beside the cross beside God himself coming to this earth and and going to the cross for us. Buddha couldn't do that. Muhammad couldn't do that. Nobody could do that. All these people in California that say, hey, we're the way to heaven. No, they're not. Um, I pick California because it seems to be that's where most of the fruitcakes come from, right? (laughs) But there's some here too, I guess. Um, but, but the reality is, the reality is there's, there's no other way to heaven. And so we don't come, we don't come to, to, to God and say, God, here's how I'm going to come to you. Here's what I think. I'll be honest with you. It doesn't, I'm not going to stand before God and go, God, let me tell you what I think. None of us will. We're going to stand before God and go, whoa, That's what we're going to do. Because the Bible says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so there's no other way. God in the flesh is so mind-blowing, truly no other path to God could measure up. No way. No way. But here's what I've discovered even this week that he's still calling sinners to forgiveness. He's doing that. God is still at work in the world, and he's calling sinners to forgiveness. And and, and, And that's the work he's called us to be a part of. As his ambassadors, it is as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We get to be ambassadors for Christ. This is why a gospel challenge for us is critically important. This is why understanding and thinking about these things, like the Pharisees needed to go think about what this means, that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Because sometimes we get in our religion and we look down our nose at people and go, yeah, you, you're wrong. And we forget that our self-righteousness is just as offensive to God as someone else's struggle. And we all have a tendency to ignore the log in our own eye looking at the speck in our brothers. And so we can't ever come to the cross and go, yeah, oh, Billy, man, he needs that. He needs this message. That's right, that boy's a sinner. And then we, we need to look in the mirror and be thankful that God desires mercy. He desires mercy, not our sacrifice. I mean, do we serve the Lord? Absolutely. But not to get God to love us more. Aren't you grateful that God came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners? That's us.
And here's something that I just can't get away from, that his compassion is greater than all your failures. Know that. His compassion is greater than your failures. And I love what, when we were doing our January class on Wednesday nights, Rob used a quote from Jonathan Edwards. And man, this is really good. And I've got it on the screen here, and I want you to see it. In this message that he preached on the pardon for the greatest sinners, Jonathan Edwards writes this, If ever you truly come to Christ, you must come to him to make you better. You must come as a patient comes to his physician with his diseases or wounds to be cured. Spread all your wickedness before him. Do not plead your goodness, but plead your badness and your necessity on that account. And say, as the psalmist in the text, not pardon my iniquity, for it is not so great as it was, but pardon my iniquity, for it is great. You see, I'm just amazed at how difficult it is that we all have to come to God honestly. We want to come to God and dress it up. Oh, Lord, you know, I'm going to get this. Yeah, I'll make this look better to you. And uh, we come to God and say, and that's how we come to a physician, the great physician. You know what's amazing about that? He won't turn you away. He says, all who come to me, I'll receive. What's causing you to stay away from the Lord? Let's understand the gospel. Let's understand the cross and what took place there on the cross. That Jesus came for sinners like you and me. So, do you need him today? Are you trying to save yourself today? I just want to help you. You can't. It's like the lady I, was, I got to lead to Christ one time who was Mormon, and I broke, broke that down. And you can't save yourself. She goes, wow, I'm so relieved because I'm struggling trying to do that. And you can't. Would you come to him today? Our altars are going to be open, and we're going to have some staff down front, and we'd love to help you begin that journey of hearing God's voice and following him. Would you be like Matthew that day? And Jesus walked up to him and said, follow me. He goes, okay. 